morning, everybody. It's good to see you on this Memorial Day weekend. Like Ashley said, I mean, that song sounds really great when it starts. It sounds like such a, a, a good love song. Listen to these lines. We go together like sound and sight, black and white, day and night. We go together like pots and pans. I don't know about that one, but surf and sand, bottles and cans, we belong together. But then, so there's this haunting line in the chorus. I think it's haunting. It says, baby, there's no use in being clever. I don't mean we'll stay together. Like, okay, this is not a great love song anymore. Because uh, even though we might belong together, there's this acknowledgement here. It doesn't mean we'll stay together. And I think in our world, that might seem like a real love kind of thing to say. Like you're being honest and authentic. I mean, and we know that just because you feel like you belong together doesn't automatically mean you'll stay together. Um, And those of you who experienced a, a breakup or even a divorce or loss, you know that painfully well. And to start out, I think what's so stunning for me is how God defines and demonstrates love in contrast to that. I think it's absolutely stunning. Like, consider this statement way from the beginning of the Bible in the First, te- first Testament book of Deuteronomy. God says these things over and over again in the Scriptures. It says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave or forsake you. It's a stunning statement about real love, the kind of love that really only God can demonstrate. We see that reflected all throughout the scriptures. Think about maybe passages that we know well, perhaps in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul saying that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If that's true, then we need to acknowledge that real love is not about a feeling of compatibility. It's not ultimately about affection. Real love is a commitment. Real love is an action. Real love is a promise. Love is an abiding truth. And and before we read our main text from 1 John, which we're going through in the series, I think it's just important to acknowledge from the outset, only God can embody that kind of love. We all fail in love and are on the receiving end of failed love, which is why that song, We Belong Together, was our lament this morning, just to acknowledge that, yes, we might belong together as, as friends, as spouses, as a community, but we all have moments where we will break that bond of belonging. Could be we officially break that bond, or it could be we just break the bond by the way that we treat each other. And and we can despair that, or, like hopefully we do every Sunday when we recognize our weaknesses and our sin and our shortcomings, we can come running back to God. We can embrace His love once again. We can remember that we are forgiven, and we can be released by God's Spirit to take up this work of loving again, once again. And John's going to help us get a handle on that. How do we do that? What does that look like in real life to seek to be real love kind of people who are first loved by God? So if you're willing and able, if you could stand, I'm going to read a section from 1 John 
We're in chapter 3 now, so this is 1 John chapter 3, and I'll start in verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is God's word to us. Can I have a seat? I have a seven-year-old daughter. She's our oldest. Her name is Eden, and she likes to write me these unprompted love notes. I'm a pretty lucky dad. Uh, The other day, she was homesick from school and eventually got out of bed and, and was doing some coloring, and she wrote me this note. She had decorated the envelope and put hearts all over it, and she was super excited for me to open it. So when I opened it, here's what I saw. Here's the note. Dear Daddy, you are the beast dad ever. Love, Eden. I mean, forget about being the best dad. I'm the beast dad. I don't know if anybody else can claim that, but I was pretty proud. And whenever I get these love notes from Eden, something I like to do with her is I like to scoop her up and, you know, kind of rough her up a little bit and say, Eden, I loved you first. She's like, no, you didn't. Like, no, I loved you first. And, and I do that because that is how I have experienced love. God loved me first. Uh, and that is how God wants us to embody love to other people. We love because we are loved. That's the essence of the Christian message. Am I right? I mean, Russ talked about this last week. It is simple. God loves us. Therefore, we should be loving people. And yet, working that out and what that means in, in real life, it's, we could talk about that forever, right? It's super complex. But the essence of Christianity, Romans 5.8 says it well. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, having received this incredible, unimaginably deep love, we become people who love. We love, John says, because God in Christ loved us first. It's Christianity in a nutshell. And that's why John says, as we begin our passage today, verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Like, this has always been the message. This is the message. There is no other message. God is love. He poured out his love for you, therefore, you should love. Real love is the ultimate sign of real faith. Real love proves that your faith is genuine. It's what John is emphasizing in the first part of verse 14. He says, we know that we've passed from death to life, which happens when we have faith in Christ, because we love each other. You see that? Like the ultimate assurance that you have this real faith 
that we've been talking about is that you have real love. And he writes the, the same thing in the next chapter. This is a little preview, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. God loves first. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And John just repeats himself over and over again. Like, if you didn't get it before, we love because God loves us. So if you don't love, you don't know God. If that's true, then the opposite is true as well, which John gets into in our passage, verse 15. The opposite of love being hate. So he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. That's a reflection of Jesus' teaching that when you, when you hate someone in your, your own heart, it's actually that action of murdering them. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And he brings it up again in chapter 4, verses 20-21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother and sister is a liar. This is the fake belief stuff. It's not real. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Pretty simple logic. Again, real love is the ultimate sign of real faith. So hate is the ultimate sign of fake belief. So the next question to get practical is, okay, so what does that look like? How do we live that out in relationship with each other? It's where the rubber meets the road, right? A couple years ago, um, Steph and I, before coming here and before our time in Scotland, we were working with an organization in Mexico called Armonia, led by an amazing man uh, who passed away about five years ago, but Saul Cruz was his name, and uh, I learned so much from, from Saul. He would, he would teach while we were driving down the road. He would teach while we were walking through the neighborhoods. He would teach while we were eating breakfast and we weren't even awake yet. Like, he just, he had to be teaching about what he knew of God uh, and working that out. He called it reflection in action. I learned so much. Well, one thing he liked to say over and over again is how he thought it was interesting that Almost every Christian who's been a Christian for a long time that you run into has John 3.16 memorized. And so can anyone say that for me? John 3.16. Got some different versions out there. <laughs> Love it. You King James people, you're awesome. Keep it alive. Keep it alive. <laughs> uh, yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. That's the essence. Now, then he goes on to say, nobody has 1 John 3.16 memorized. He found that sad. He found it demonstrative of kind of keeping belief on an easy level. Like, it's easy to say, God loves me. But then to take the next step and say, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You can't have 1 John 3.16, sorry, you can't have John 3.16 that we all know so well without 1 John 3.16. And that's always stuck with me and, and is super challenging. And I, I think it's helpful because you're immediately thinking, okay, That sounds kind of extreme. What does he mean by that? Well, he gives us an example right in the next verse. So in verse 17, 
So here's an example. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And I think you'll find other very specific examples about love in the Bible are similar in that there's always a laying down of something. There's a laying down of power or, or laying down of privilege or possessions in this case. The point is real love gives. This is the rhythm. Real love pours itself out. Real love acts and gives in extravagant, costly ways. Are some of you at least familiar with the five love languages, this idea? Uh, I don't know. I wrote them down here so I can get them right. These are from Gary Chapman originally. You've got words of affirmation, gift giving, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. And when Gary teaches this, he's usually saying, all of us have a primary love language. So the the way that we receive love, um, and then hopefully we can identify a friend's or a spouse's love language as well. So we can love each other well. Like, this is how I'm loved. This is how you're loved. So let's do that in practical ways. So I'm not sure if it's my my primary one, but uh, a big one for me is the gift language. Um, Someone can say something nice to me, and and I feel loved in that moment and encouraged, but the intentionality that it takes to think about what I want or need, to expend the energy to go get that thing or to make that thing, and then to, to get it to me, like, it just moves me on a, on a deep level. And um, a couple of years ago, I was getting to know a guy who shares my passion for gardening. Uh, I love gardening. It's hard right now. It's like, where's the rain? My garden, you know? It, um, I love gardening, but I'm also very thrifty, so my tools kind of stink. I uh, don't have the best, I didn't have like the best hoses and tools and whatever. So I was getting to know this guy, and he either heard me talk about that or saw some of my, my stinky tools, including this, you know those garden hoses that kink up in every possible direction you try to move? Yeah, we have one back here, Bob. Why, why do we have a kinky hose? Oh, man, it annoys me so much. Um, Anyway, I was operating with these, with these kinky hoses. He saw that. And so the next time we met, he, he showed up with a brand new hose for me. Like one of those kink-free 50-foot hoses. And, and it, it blew me away. I was like, okay, I, I think I understood that you love me. But I'm really feeling it right now. Like that, that's really amazing that you would do that for me. And uh, I know that you love me. Um, and if you think about it, like that's, that's one way I receive love. But all of these love languages are forms of giving. Right? You can give someone your words. You can give someone your touch. You give someone your time. You give someone an act of service or an, or an actual gift. Whatever it is, these are all ways of giving something of yourself to somebody else. To say, I love you. I want to I get rid of this from me and I want to give it to you. And that, that's, the, that's the essence of, of real love. I love that pattern. And I think we can drill down a little bit more into verse 17 to see how that actually functions and how we can cultivate that kind of real love as giving. So let's look at verse 17. The first thing to notice here in this verse is that John's transitioning from writing in the plural. So he's saying, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's talking about, you know, this in general. And then he, he zooms into the singular 
in verse 17. So if anyone, if a particular person sees a particular brother and sister who has needs. Okay, and it's, it's really important because love is never general. Love doesn't give in general ways. Love gives in specific ways for this person and that person and this one over there. Love is always particular in that way. And I love what one commentator says, G.P. Lewis, says it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Right? It's just saying it how it is. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I think that's a good word for us, especially in the age of social media and causes and like, you know, I want to love people well. No, we need to love people, individual men and women well. So what does it look like to love someone in particular? Well, verse 17 is a great example because it starts out with this specific situation, right? If anyone has material possessions is how it starts, and that's all of us, okay? I think the more nuanced reading of that or, or meaning of that phrase is if anyone has material plenty, I think that's how the... Um, one of the versions has, if anyone has material plenty, the idea is, again, if anyone has something to give, and that is absolutely all of us in the room, right? Especially in, in comparison with the rest of the world. So this is us. He's speaking to us, every single one of us. What does it look like to love well for those who have more than enough in our lives? It begins with seeing someone in need. If you see a brother or sister in need, let's just stop right there for a second. A really important step this scene. Because um, in order to love well, we have to be able to see people. And you know how we can be guilty of selective listening? <laughs> well, the same thing is true here. We can be really selective in, in our scene and, and rob ourselves of opportunity to, to love well. Some of that is, I think, natural and, and good self-protection in some ways, because if we saw every single need everywhere of all of these people, and with the Enneagram 2s in, in the room, like, you guys, you got to chill out and only see one need at a time, right? Um, no, you get overwhelmed and paralyzed, and you're like, I don't know what to do. So some of that's good. But John's talking about this personal experience, okay? Not, not something you saw on the news or something on social media or someone in the distance, but like someone right here. There's someone with you. They're in a relationship with, and they have a need. And the question is, will you see it? Because it is a lot easier just to pretend you did not see it. Because it's probably going to inconvenience you, and most likely it's going to be uncomfortable to really see that need and then let God work in you to respond in a fitting way. I think that busyness is one of the prime enemies right now for us in loving well. Because when we're busy, we don't see very well. We don't, we need to, you need to, I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody. Like, I need to slow down enough that I can actually be with someone long enough to see the actual need and then to internalize that need. And when, when you see it, there's basically uh, two options. You can feel compassion or you can go numb. I experience this a lot. And and the text is challenging this. It says, if you see a brother or sister in need and have no pity on them, the original Greek is literally, and and you 
close your gut to this person. Because in the ancient world, the gut, kind of like our heart, it was the seat of the emotions. It's where action was motivated from, was your gut. So he's saying, okay, if you see a brother or sister in need, you've got two options. You can keep your gut open, kind of a gross image, or you can close your gut to them. And I think there are a couple reasons, maybe the most common reasons why we might close our guts. Cynicism and pessimism. Pretty, pretty prevalent in our culture today, and they're subtly different. The cynical response is when you see a need and you think, they deserve that. Like, that's their fault. That's not my problem. It's their problem. And so, why should I feel compassion? And in some situations, that may actually have a grain of truth, but you can never apply that across the board. Again, you can, cynics are really good about questioning people and motives in general, and not really good at entering into particular situations. Because when you apply that across the board, if it's not my fault, it's their fault. Uh, Honestly, it's a sign of emotional insecurity, and it it twists the truth, and it kills compassion. Think about, did God wait for us to get to a point where we deserved it in order to love us? So even if it is their fault, How do we love as God loved us? We love when people are running the other way and they're doing things that are destructive and it is their fault. So we need to to address the cynical response. And then the pessimistic response, we'll see that need and create emotional distance by saying, I just don't know what to do. I don't think anything that I could do for this person would really matter. Like in the long term, seems like it's just going to be a a little fix, but the problem is going to continue. So... You just kind of throw up your hands. Say, so I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself to feel because if I feel and then want to act, it's not going to make a difference. And like, I get that. That's a real feeling. But again, where would we be if God was pessimistic toward our, the possibility of our transformation? Where would we be if God loved in the way that we're often tempted to, to respond to needs? Um, the connection I see here between cynicism and pessimism is, is this matter of the heart or, or the gut, if you're in the ancient world, of like that closing up, that hard-heartedness that leads to tight-fistedness. Because when you close your gut and you close your heart, you, you miss out on opportunities to be generous. And real love gives. Something I think we see over and over in Scripture, not just in John. Again, if you go back to Deuteronomy... This original instruction to God's people during the time of Moses. God says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted, there's the keep your gut open, or tight-fisted toward them. And those are directly connected. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And we could pause here and we could have some really good discussions about toxic charity, like when our giving actually hurts people rather than helps them. Those are important things to wrestle through. That, that's for another time. Um, love to have that discussion. But the point I want you to get today is that simple one, that real love gives. Okay? Real love is the ultimate sign of real faith and real love gives. 
So in order to get to this place where we're open-handed and we give joyfully and we give freely, again, whether that is words or actions or physical things or whatever it is, all that can be forms of giving. We have to allow ourselves to see the needs. I mean, slow down a little bit, address your cynicism and your pessimism, and then allow God to work in your heart. Allow yourself to feel compassion. And the cool thing about this pattern is we see it everywhere in Jesus' own life. There's little transitions between different episodes in the Gospels. I think we have one example up here from Matthew 14, where it'll say Jesus arrived somewhere, like he landed, he saw the crowds. So don't miss that. He saw them. It's like, I see you. I see the crowd and I see individual needs. He kept his gut open and he had compassion on them and it led to action. So to say either he healed them or he taught them the good news or he walked with them or whatever. So it was seeing, feeling, acting. This is the way that real love gives. And we see it in Jesus' life. John then sums all of that up in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in, with actions and in truth. I think we've been talking about this whole time, that first phrase, love in action. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. That's the giving part. But what about that phrase, love in truth? What's that about? I'm just going to close on this. Um, I immediately thought of Eden again. Like I told the story of the love note earlier. Um, I just want to tell one more story about her because her middle name is Eden Aletheia, which is Greek for truth. It's the word used right here. Um, And obviously you don't name your children before you know what they're going to be like. But there is always this like mysterious connection between people's names and the reality of of what they're living out. And this girl loves with truth. And I'll I'll tell you one example. It's a really sweet one. Um, I don't remember actually when it was. We were lounging together on the couch and talking. I think I was asking about her day or something. She was looking at my face and started touching my face, like, this is kind of sweet. What are you doing, you know? She's like, Daddy, you've got, you've got these marks on your face. She was referring to some of my acne scars. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got some marks on my face. And she looked at me again, and she's like, I like them. And, like, it was so truthful. It was so pure. It was like, this might be a weird thing to say, but I like those scars. And, man, it... It like went straight to my heart because I realized this is what God does. He looks at us and in truth, he says, you are broken and you are blemished. He doesn't hide that truth. And he's like, I see that and I love you. I love those scars. I love those blemishes. I love those weaknesses. And he wraps us in his arms and he sets us free to love like that. And uh, that's the simple message, guys. It's this, I love you so much, God says, that I, everything I have is yours. That's that, again, God so loved, he what? Gave. This is the gospel. Real love gives, no matter how much it costs. Real love acts, it gives, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. So let's pray that God would make us into that sort of people. God, uh, first we just ask that this good news of your love for us would sink in in a new way this morning. It's easy to get kind of just forgetful of that simple and profound truth of how much you love us. In all of our brokenness, with all of our scars, 
man, you enter right into that and you love us like a hurricane. Help that sink into our hearts this morning. Spirit, do that work. Because if that doesn't happen, I don't, I don't think there's any way that we're going to be able to love like you or even in a small way like you. This is, um, it's been a challenging thing to sit with. I believe your spirit is challenging us in some very particular ways to be more generous. And I know that's not a general thing, and I, can't, I can only make this application for me of what, what it looks like. So would you do that for every one of us in the room? Help us see a need to allow ourselves to feel it and to be empowered by your spirit to, to act, to give. And to do that over and over and over and over. God, I, I know this is how the world is transformed and how we are transformed. So we want to be a part of it and we ask your spirit to, to make that happen in our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.